Well, today I have the joy, a little bit of sadness, but joy of wrapping up our Live Out Loud series. Maybe the last message, but now we get to go on living it out. So today is the conclusion of this series where we've been trying to drill down into what would it take for us to be the kind of Christians we've been talking about in our vision when we said we're asking God to raise up a generation of Christians, not like out there somewhere, but how about right here, us, who would have the courage to stand, confidence to speak up, and a heart that's willing to sacrifice to see more people come to Christ who don't know him. And before I go any further, let me, let me comment on this. One of the ways that you can live out loud is by simply inviting people to join you on Sunday. It's a come and see approach. If you're really shy and say, I don't know what to say, ask them to come, I'll say it. Tell me what you want, to say, want me to say when they get here. I'll be the one to say it, but just invite somebody. And hopefully you've sensed, we try to be the kind of church that, yes, believers can get fed, yes, believers can learn, but we try to communicate in a way that unbelievers wouldn't think, I have no idea what's going on. We try to give a mix of, here's Jesus, here's grace, here's the gospel, here's what it really looks like, and feed believers. I hope you, like me, I like inviting people. I don't find myself thinking, oh, I wouldn't want to invite anybody from outside the church to our church. I love inviting people. But... Here's what I've heard from many of you, starting with my sweet wife. At Easter and Christmas time, we always put together a nice little card that you could hand out. Say, hey, join me for Easter or join me for the Christmas service. And some of you have said, what about the rest of the year? It'd be so nice to have something I could hand somebody. What are the service times? What's the location? What's going on? So the communication team has worked hard to put together a simple business-sized card that talks about both Fort Thomas and Florence. And when you say, hey, I'd love for you to come on Sunday, you could hand them this. You could just keep it in your purse, keep it in your wallet. And so today, if you want them, if you don't, that's fine. But if you want them, at the end of the service, the ushers will be at the back with some of them. And they can hand them to you if you want to take some of them. Great. Keep them in your wallet. Keep them in your glove box. Keep it in your purse. And say, hey, I'd love for you to join me at church on Sunday. All right, for several weeks, we've been unpacking a simple equation that I readily admitted to you. I didn't find this in the Bible. But I do think it helps us capture what needs to be going on in each one of our lives if we're really going to make a difference in people around us. And I said it could be stated this way. HP plus CP plus CC equals MI. Simply high potency plus close proximity Plus clear communication equals maximum impact. And so today, in the final message, I want to unpack the CC a little more. The clear communication. By giving you some ideas, how would I start spiritual conversations? How would I even get a spiritual conversation going with someone? And I'm going to get there. I'm going to try to give you some help on it. But I want to admit to you, I'm still more concerned about... The kind of heart and life that we need to have in place first before you ever open your mouth to say anything to anybody about Jesus. Now maybe you're thinking, wait a minute, what does it matter? As long as we've got truth, the truth will set you free. Sound doctrine in a day of deception and lies. Well, if that's you, then let me remind you of what Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.16. He said, watch your life. And doctrine closely. Persevere in them. In other words, continue to persevere in both watching over your life and making sure you've got good doctrine. Persevere in them, Paul said, because if you do, 
you will save both yourself and your hearers. Listen to me. God does want to speak truth through us. But here's what you'll see as you go through the, the Bible. God is first interested in doing a work in us before he ever does anything through us. And that work should never end. It should continue to be real and ongoing work in us as he seeks to do anything through us. And so there's where I want to start. I want to start and talk some more about that ongoing work in us. So here's my first point and the way I would put it to you. You don't need to be perfect. Turn to the person next to you and say, oh, good. Oh, good. This is not one of those things where you got to earn the right to speak and they're watching you and if they see any flaws or anything off base, then you can't even talk. That's not what we're talking about. You don't need to be perfect. But you do need to be paying attention to your own life before you open your mouth to talk to somebody else about theirs. What am I talking about? What's that high potency part all over again where you're spending time with Jesus And you are aware of the ongoing work in your own life. It's real. It's fresh. When you have, listen to me, when you have an awareness that God is still at work in me, it's real, it's fresh, that moves the gospel from academic words on a paper to something that I'm living out. I'm experiencing this. This is real to me. I'm still tasting the wonders of grace and forgiveness and Christ's righteousness applied to my account. It's got to still be happening in me and real to me. What you want to talk to them about needs to be happening to you and you need to be aware of it. So, what areas of your life should you give some attention to? We could go all kinds of places, but for the sake of time, I'm going to use two passages that I think really help us know What should we pay attention to regarding our own lives? I'm going to use Ephesians 5, and I want to use 1 John chapter 1. So go ahead, and let's start with Ephesians 5. Take your Bibles and go to Ephesians chapter 5, and you follow along as I read verses 8 to 21. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 through 21. Now, this is a letter that Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, so he is speaking to believers, not unbelievers. He's speaking to Christians Listen to what he says. Verse 8, chapter 5, Ephesians. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, proving what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, he's talking to Christians now, Awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly. The word circumspectly simply means carefully and conscious of potential consequences. It matters how I'm living. I need to be awake. I need to be alert. I need to be conscious. See that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time. The NIV says it well, making the most of every opportunity. Why? Why would I live like this? Because the days are evil. 
Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. From this passage, I want to show you three ways that we need to be living. Three ways we need to be living that I do believe will give credibility to anything we start to say to anyone around us about Jesus. Three ways we need to be living that will give credibility to anything you say to someone else about Jesus or spiritual things. Here's the first, number one. You need to keep walking in the light, even as you lean in to the darkness. You need to keep walking in the light, even as you lean into the darkness. That's what Paul's talking about in verses 8 to 11. Look at it again. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Okay, stop right there then and let's think for a minute. This sounds pretty important. He's telling you, you got to walk in as children of light. What would it mean to walk in the light? What would it look like to be walking in the light? If he's telling us to do this, and see, here's where I want to jump to 1 John 1 to give us some more help of what does walking in the light look like? Because if you're not careful, wait, don't go there yet because I want you to hear what I'm saying. If you're not careful, we tend to think, well, walking in the light would be avoiding darkness and surrounding myself with biblical truth because God's word is light and truth. Good start. Please do think about the darkness you want to avoid. Please do think about biblical truth. But you could be trying to avoid darkness and surround yourself with biblical truth and still not obey what walking in the light means. So let's go get some help from 1 John 1. Now go to 1 John. Not the Gospel of John, but the little book of 1 John towards the back of your Bible. So go right. Go hard right. 1 John. Little book of 1 John, and we're going to jump into chapter 1, 1 John chapter 1, and we're trying to get John to give us some insight to what Paul's saying about walking in the light. And I hope you're also seeing, get this, Scripture informs itself. The best way to understand more about a passage is to think, does God mention this anywhere else? Another good reason that make it a, a goal at some point in your life, read all the Bible. Not just parts of it, all of it. You'll have a much better grasp on what God is saying, who he is and what he wants us to do. So 1 John 1 is going to inform us on Ephesians 5. You there? Here's what I want to do. Before I read it, I want to make some comments about 1 John. 1 John is a great little book for a lot of reasons. But here's one of my favorite reasons of, of loving 1 John. He gives us, John tells us why he wrote it. That's very helpful when you know what was the author's intent, what was the context, what was going on. Why did he write this letter? You don't have to guess. He tells us. He gives us three reasons that he wrote the little book of 1 John. You find two of them right in the first chapter and one of them at the end of the letter. In chapter 1, verse 3, he says that you may have fellowship with God and other believers. In chapter 1, verse 4, he says that you may have fullness of joy. I've written these things to you so that you'll have fullness of joy. And then in chapter 5, verse 13, one of my favorite verses to go to when people say, isn't it kind of arrogant for you to say that you know you're going to heaven? 
That sounds so arrogant. How can you say that? I can say it because of 1 John 5, 13. Now these things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you may... Say it louder. Know that you have eternal life. God's word says you can know you have. He wants you to know. He doesn't want you to be guessing. So he says... I'm writing this letter to you so that you'll understand what fellowship with God really is about. That you'll understand what fullness of joy really is about. And that you won't live in doubt and constant insecurity of, am I saved? Am I not? Am I forgiven? Will I experience the condemnation and judgment of God or not? I don't know. Three reasons. Now you think about it a minute. Can you see how these three things would make a huge difference as to whether or not you want to talk to other people about the things of God and have a spiritual conversation. So let me encourage you, even though this is the last message in this series, some of you might want to consider, to keep this going on, read the little book of 1 John carefully. Make, use it for your quiet time for a month. And say, God, I want to get a handle on this. I want to understand more what fellowship with you really is about what fullness of joy is really about and I want to get past this whole I don't know if I'm saved I don't know if I'm forgiven I really don't know I feel like I'm not good enough what about what about what about what about because can you see how if you were experiencing ongoing real sweet fellowship with God you'd want to talk about it if you had real joy you'd want to talk about it and if you weren't on your heels constantly guessing and wondering and combing over your own life as to whether you're even a Christian See, Satan loves to keep us off balance in all three of those areas. This letter was written to Christians to help them know how to have sweet, intimate fellowship with their Savior. When you've got a hold of that, not perfectly, but a taste of that, no one has to kickstart you and say, Say, Jesus, run the flag up the flagpole. When you're experiencing fellowship and you've got some joy... Joy is different than happiness. That's attached to circumstances. Joy. Even when tears are running down your face. Joy. Despite a tragedy. Joy. Because it's rooted in God's character and God's promises. And that your biggest problem has been solved. And when you know you're not perfect. And you know you still sin. And you know you're not worthy. And you know you don't deserve it. But you're convinced according to God's word that God took your sin and put it on Christ. Not some of it, but all of it. And poured out his wrath on Christ instead of you. And when you're convinced from the scriptures that Christ's righteousness and perfection has been given to your account. And that when the holy God of the universe looks on you, he sees Jesus Christ and accepts you and loves you. Not based on how you're doing today, but based on his son that never changes. You'll want to to talk to somebody about that it's an overflow all this makes a difference so read first john perhaps now for the sake of time i just want to touch on one of those three reasons he wrote this book the fellowship of god part and here's why here's why i want to touch on that one they're all important but here's why i want to touch on that one here's what i've experienced i'm 52 years old i got saved when i was seven i think the lord truly saved me helped me to understand my sinfulness and that christ died for me but here's what i've experienced fellowship with god has a shelf life now here's what i don't mean So don't go the wrong places. I don't mean, oh, I'm saved today. I'm not saved tomorrow. God is inconsistent. He vacillates back and forth. He loves me. He loves me not. He's constant. We're a mess. And so here's what I want you to understand. Fellowship with God. 
You can never put on hold your relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, and ride on last year's fellowship. Like, you know what? I'm just not going to read my Bible this year. I'm dropping out of small group. I don't have time. I've got a lot of sports going on. Or I've got a hobby. I'm rebuilding a Mustang now. You stop cultivating that high potency, that fellowship with God through close com- com- contact with other believers, through digging into his word, through chewing in it. So feasting on the banquet of his word and sweet prayer and meditation. You pull back on that and you think you can hit pause and set your Christian life on cruise control Big trouble. So here's how I'd put it to you. This high potency thing again, you're either right now cultivating high potency by the choices you're making to spend time with the God of the universe through his son, Jesus Christ, through Bible reading, prayer, close contact with other believers that are contagious and hungry, or this whole Christianity, gospel, Jesus thing is becoming stale and less real to you. And when it's stale and less real, you don't want to talk about it. And let me say something else. When it's stale and less real, no one wants to hear about it. So that's okay too. Don't talk. Go lock yourself in your bedroom. Go away until things are right again. We don't need you talking. It will come across flat. It will come across like, yes, Jesus has changed my life. Oh, wow, I want that. When it's stale and it's not real, don't hear me saying perfect, but it's real. I've been spending time with him. He's been answering some of my prayers. I've been talking to him. He spoke to me through a a verse. He's convicted me. When it's real, because you're cultivating high potency, you're much more likely to want to speak. Start there. Start there and stay there and recognize you can never hit cruise control. You cannot ride on last year's fellowship. Oh, it was a great year last year. Read through the whole Bible. Good. What are you doing this year? Oh, there were times that I really studied and dug into God's word. I remember that year. Okay. What's going on now? It'd be like saying, I ate a great meal last month. Why would I need to do that now? Uh, You'll be real sick, anemic, lethargic, weak, Easily rattled, easily upset, easily confused. Physical food is a a necessity daily. News alert, so is spiritual food and communion with the Lord. Gotta have it, gotta have it. So now, now that I hope I've excited you about why this little book is so important, now let's read 1 John chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. Now think what we're looking for. We're looking for the answer to what does it mean to walk in the light? 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you. Now look at me a minute. Is he writing to Christians or non-Christians? Christians. So keep that in the context. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie. And do not practice the truth. But if we walk In the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, now listen, look at me. 
This is not a get saved verse. He's not talking about, I need to confess my sins and put my trust in Jesus as my Savior to to be on my way to heaven instead of hell. He's talking to believers. This is something that needs to be happening in an ongoing way in our lives if you want to keep fellowship with God alive and well. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we've not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. A very poor chapter break right here. If you never knew this before, the chapter breaks and the verses are not inspired. These were one long letter and men decided where to break it. Shouldn't have broke it. We need these next two verses to keep from losing heart and despairing. Rolls right on into, my little children, these things I write to you that you may not sin. You don't have to go on sinning, Christian. You've been set free that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins. That word propitiation means he cleanses and he turns back the wrath of God. That wrath that was coming your way is never coming your way again. It's been expunged. It's been satisfied. It was poured out on your Savior He's the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. He is the only hope for every human being. Now, in verse 6 and 7, John tells us that fellowship with God comes from walking in the light. So what does it mean to walk in the light? What would that look like? He answers it in verses 8 to 10. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then he comes back around and hits it again, this problem that we have. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Here's what John is saying. Walking in the light means you have a readiness and an openness to admitting your own sin. Owning it. And confessing it to God and others and doing something about it. That's why I get pushback on this from sometimes people in our church and other places when I go and teach. But it's biblical. We're not going to drop this word sinner. I'll have people say to me, we shouldn't call anybody a sinner. We shouldn't call Christians a Christian. We're a saint. We're a saint. Yes, he calls you a saint. He also calls you a sinner saved by grace. We're not just going to say, I'm saved by grace now. If you lose sight of the fact that you're a sinner saved by grace, it changes how you treat other people around you. We're not supposed to drop that. Paul the Apostle, if you track with his letters that he wrote, towards the end of his life, not earlier, end, said, you know what? Call me the chief of sinners. Go tell the Apostle Paul to stop using that word. He's the same man that used the word saint all the time. Said, I'm writing this to the saints who are in Ephesus. But oh, by the way, you're still sinners saved by grace. So let me ask you, if walking in the light means a quickness and a readiness to own and admit your own sin. How well are you doing? How quick are you to admit and own your own sin? And now it's going to get even tougher. How easy do you make it for other people around you to point it out to you? Oh, it's quiet now. 
Or are you that person, that man or woman that's like, oh, God, help the man or woman who tries to tell you something about you that you're not seeing? Do you make excuses? Do you get defensive? Do you attack back? Do you lash out? Do you shift blame? Do you cry, scream, pout? If that's you, when anybody tries to tell you something about you, you're not walking in the light. You say, well, so what? How does that impact my living out loud and talking? Here's what's at stake. Let me help you make a connection. The day you stop recognizing I am the biggest sinner I know, because I live with me, is also the day you stop tasting amazing grace and you won't be able to extend it to other people around you. You will instead live with judgment and condemnation because you've lost an awareness that you're a sinner. That keeping this I am a sinner saved by grace keeps you tasting grace, grace, grace. I'm a sinner and I need grace. See, if you only see yourself as like a level two sinner, I'm still holding on to the term, but I'm like a two Guess what? You're experiencing level two grace. And that's not a lot of grace. And you're going to be around people that you're in your mind at least are going to say they are big ten sinners. Well, you'll have sad two grace to deal with that ten sinner. If you keep seeing yourself as a big sinner, you'll keep tasting big grace and you'll have big grace to extend to other people around you. Is this making sense? Don't lose sight of the fact that you're a sinner. Don't lose sight of your Savior either. So I'm not asking you to wallow on the ground, curl up in a ball and say, I'm a a sinner, I'm wretched, I'm so terrible. Get up. I'm talking about walking and rejoicing and saying, yes, I'm a sinner, big sinner. That's why I've got a big Savior that died for all my sin. And you revel in grace. And then when you get around other people, you're not like, listen, oh, look at them. How can you live that way? Oh, that's helpful. Have you forgotten, have you forgotten who you were and where you were? And now don't forget who you still are. But for the grace of God, you have the potential to go careening off into some of the most hideous stuff. Yes, you, you. Now that's gonna affect how we come across to people as we start to talk. Does this make sense? So walk in the light. Even as you lean into the darkness, never stop walking in the light. And walking in the light doesn't mean, oh, I've got lots of Bible truth. I've got so much Bible truth. I hope you do have Bible truth. But the day you are stacked up with Bible truth and you can't remember the last time you thought about yourself as a sinner is a bad day. You are not going to be effective in talking to other people who don't know Christ. You're just going to come across as the judgmental Bible answer man and woman. Name a sin and I'll shoot it with a Bible verse. And then I'll shoot you for being so disgustingly sinful (laughs) to the glory of God. I'm here on a crusade of pointing out sin, shooting it with Bible verses, and then killing the sinners in the name of God. Oh, helpful. Please stop. But when you find yourself saying, I can't believe, or no, that's the problem. Look at what I just thought. Oh, my goodness. Look at how, how judgmental that thought was. Look at where my mind was running right now on the treadmill. God, help me. And you don't airbrush it, but you say, oh, Lord, thank you for saving me. You'll be more gracious towards lost sinners. So get that. Now go back to Ephesians 5 and let's look at two more areas. 
So walking in the light, don't stop walking in the light. Number two from Ephesians 5. You better be alert and living for what matters most. Get a grip. Get a grip on what matters most. We have believers, folks. It breaks my heart. We've got so many believers that I would say this. They're sleepwalking through life. They're moving, but it's like they're in a coma. They're sleepwalking through life. And they've fallen prey to the world's siren cry. They're still living for the same stuff the world does, chasing after it, acting like this is it, this is home, this is all I've got, grabbing all the gusto they can. What is wrong with you? And that's why Paul says in Ephesians 5, look at it in verse 14 through 17. Therefore, he says, awake, you who sleep. So he's talking to Christians, but it's like you're still asleep. Arise from the dead. Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. The message paraphrased by Eugene Peterson says it this way. Wake up from your sleep, climb out of your coffin. Love that picture. He's made you alive, but there's some Christians still lying in the coffin. Get out. Get out. Climb out of your coffin. Christ will show you the light. So watch your step. Use your head. Make the most of every chance you get. These are desperate times. Don't live carelessly and unthinkingly. Let me tell you two of the biggest ways I see Christians live carelessly and unthinkingly. With their money and with their time. Two of the most precious commodities you have in life. Your money. Your time. Folks, money is not evil. Money has great potential to do great good and it actually takes money to do ministry. The Bible doesn't say money is evil. It says the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. We got Christians that are still just taking every single thing that God gives them, every dollar that comes their way, and padding their lives, increasing the borders of how good their life is, and saying, oh, yeah, yeah, we can't give, we can't give, we can't. Shut up. You've made no plans to give. Every time you bump up your standard of living, even if you don't say it out loud, you're saying, I, make, I have no intentions of giving. Every time I get an increase, every time we have more, we're just going to increase what we do and how good life is. Oh my word. Get an eternal perspective. Stop, stop, stop. Invest your money. Invest your money in eternal endeavors, kingdom endeavors, and your time. Time is precious. Listen, I'm busy too, folks. But these are two ways that we live radically different. Where's your money going? And how to use your time. Don't use all your time on just you and you and you and you. Over the weekend, I am busy. I had a children's breakfast ministry thing here with all the volunteers on Saturday. Here I was, stayed half a day. Had the sermon to get ready. But there's someone I've been praying for, an unbeliever, for 15 years. And it was his birthday. And so Vicky cooked a nice meal, grilled chicken and rice and vegetables. And, and we drove it to his house in an unhurried fashion as if I had lots of time and sat and listened to him said we love you praying for you and I said I've brought physical food but I want to share with you some spiritual food also so I took my bible and I read John three sixteen, killer verse I said listen to this and this is you on your birthday God's saying this to you and then I prayed with him it took time it took time for Vicky to cook it it took time for the two of us to drive it over there but these are the things that matter most folks time money. 
There's a whole sermon right there, but I don't have time. So moving on. But I hope you already feel, some of you just feel bad. But do something about it. Do something about it. Do something about it. Number three, what should we pay, be paying attention to? Number three, you need to be filled with the Spirit. Oh, you need to be filled with the Spirit so that your life grabs people's attention before your mouth ever starts to say anything about Jesus. You need to be filled with the Spirit. Folks, that's where he goes in, in verse 18 there. Don't be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery or dissipation. But be he takes alcohol and uses it as an illustration of what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit. When someone has had excessive alcohol and has drank too much, it's like something else has taken over and controls them, and they're like a different person. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, let me help you here. We have, in our day, believers who have hijacked what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and have so scared everybody with nonsense that sometimes as biblical, Bible-believing evangelicals, we've thrown the baby out with the bathwater. And we're just like, we talk about the Bible, we talk about, but we don't ever mention the Holy Spirit. Folks, praise God for the Holy Spirit. There is a Holy Spirit who lives in us, who has power, resurrection power, and can guide you and help you and convict you and bring things to your mind Oh, what a privilege. Let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. But listen, being filled with the Spirit doesn't mean you roll in the aisle up and down through here. You bark like a dog. Oh, that's real impactful. You laugh for three months and you don't know why. Please stop. There's all this bizarreness in the name of the Holy Spirit so that we've said, we want nothing to do with the Holy Spirit. Apart from the Holy Spirit, we've got no power I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he doesn't leave you guessing what would it look like when the Spirit gets control of me. Verses 19 through 21. And be filled with the Spirit, comma, it's not even a new thought, speaking hymns and songs and spiritual songs, singing with melody in your heart as in the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father through our Lord Jesus Christ, comma, submitting to one another in fear of God. Listen to what it is. Joyful instead of hateful and morose. We have enough hateful Christians. When the Holy Spirit fills you, hateful is not what characterizes you. Joyful. Grateful. Oh, we live in a day of complainers, right? It's like American pastime. Apple pie, Chevrolet, baseball and complaining. When you don't complain, you stand out. I put another verse there and we don't have time to go there. Philippians 2, 14 and 15. Go there later and check it out. He says, you will stand out in a crooked and perverse generation. Do not grumble and complain. Right there in the context of Philippians 2, he says, one of the things that will cause you to stand out in a crooked, dark, perverse generation is not complaining. Stop looking for some bizarre, amazing thing like you can make the copy machine levitate in the break room. You don't need to do that. If you just didn't complain, they would say... What is up with you? Joyful, grateful, humble, instead of arrogant and demanding. Don't we live in a day of just arrogance and demanding people? And when you're not that person demanding your rights and sticking up for your rights and coming across so arrogant, those three things, listen to me, when you have that in place, not perfectly, but regularly, because you're filled with the Spirit, people want to listen to what you have to say. So now let's go to how to start spiritual conversations. And here's how I want to do this. Here's my main second point. Here it is. The more 
There's more than one way to start a spiritual conversation, but it is far more likely to happen if you could eliminate some of the spiritual conversation killers. Since we were just talking about the Holy Spirit and being filled with it, I am confident there's not one way to do this. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, I am confident he can show you the best on-ramp to get going in a spiritual conversation with a particular person, and it's not always the same with everybody. There's no formula. Hallelujah. Read your New Testament and the Gospels. You'll see Jesus didn't do the same thing with everybody. Woman at the well, he talked about living water. The rich young ruler, he talked about the commandments. Nicodemus, he talked about born again. So what is it, Jesus? Yes. There's all kinds of ways to approach this. But here's my greater concern. Oh, my goodness. If we could be alert to the show-stopping, conversation-crashing killers that we step into so many times, I think this could go so much better. So let me point out some of the spiritual conversation killers. Number one, stop attacking the other person's belief system head on. You say, really? Yeah, really. Think about human nature, folks. When you attack someone's spiritual belief system head on like a battering ram, they dig in their heels, they get entrenched, and they feel the need to defend. Even if they think there's some truth to what you're saying, they're not going to admit it to you. They just reiterate what they believe. I love Ravi Zacharias for many reasons. But one of the biggest reasons is he captures this. He's one of the most loving, gracious, disarming Christian apologists. I, I don't just read him. I've listened to him at secular campuses, answer questions from microphones where people are attacking him, people are ugly, and he just won't do it back. So effective. And he says this. He says, we must learn to find the back door to people's hearts because the front door is heavily guarded. So true. So true. And so you say, Brad, if, if, I, if I'm not going to use a battering ram with God's truth and attack their belief system, what should I do? Ready? I've said this so many times in this series, and if you just remembered this one thing, I'd be so happy. Ask good questions. Get this. If you ask good questions, you can lead a person out onto the precipice of their own belief system, and they start to feel the incongruity of what they say they believe. Does that make sense? Instead of you coming after them, when you let them just talk, you can see it on their face sometimes that they're, they're trying to still look confident, but even they themselves say, that sounds so stupid. And you just keep smiling, thinking, yeah, it does. I'm going to ask you some more questions. It's going to get stupider before we're done. And they start to feel it themselves, the incongruity and the shakiness of what they say they're believing because they're hearing it out loud with their own mouth instead of you attacking it. Remember, remember the story I told you about sitting next to the Buddhist on the plane? When I learned he was a Buddhist, I didn't say, that's about the stupidest thing I've ever... You're going to hell for that. There's no hope in that. Oh my goodness, just a fat man with his legs crossed? Are you kidding me? Oh, great conversation we would have had. Instead, I said, oh, tell me about the eightfold path of peace. That's what they believe. Now, that's going to take a while. There's eight of them. I got time. It's a two-hour flight. I'm just listening. I'm just listening. I'm just listening, asking follow-up questions. I, and I truly care. I'm concerned. I'm, I'm interested. Show respect. When he finished all eight fold path, he leaned over in a hushed voice. He said, but it doesn't work. <laughs> okay. Good to know. That's what I thought. It was nice to hear it from you. Right, since I wasn't attacking, he didn't feel the need to pretend this works. He was in his 50s. He was very wealthy. 
he, he's an antique, high-end dealer, blah, blah, blah. And he said, I'm so lonely. I have no friends. Like, I had listened. I didn't attack this man. And in that 60-minute conversation, I asked questions. I made very few statements. And then when there was a lull, he said to me, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. He said, is there any second chance for redemption after we die? Drive an 18-wheeler gospel truck through there. And he's asking for it. So then I said, no. Jesus. And then I explained Jesus, how he kept the law. He is God and he is man. He took the sin on him. God's wrath was poured out on him. Now it's by faith alone in him. But it has to happen in this life now. There's no opportunity afterwards. He didn't interrupt. He didn't push back. He was asking for it. I had listened attentively and respectfully to him. And now he asked me to explain this to him. He wanted it. And the plane landed, and I got in the aisle with my little bag, and he tapped me on the shoulder, and he said, I'm going to remember this conversation the rest of my life. I've always wanted an answer to that question. Don't attack head on. Ask questions. Number two, a killer that we got to avoid. Stop thinking nobody's interested in spiritual conversations. You say, really? Yes. I, I think one of the biggest problems is Christians live in unbelief. Unbelief. We just think, nobody, nobody, oh, oh, that little voice in your head. She, oh, she wouldn't be interested. Look how mean she looks. Oh, no, no, no. Look how wealthy they are. Look how happy they are. Look, 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 look. And we find reasons to not even bring it up. If you wake up every day and you've already decided the people I work with, the people I play with, the people that live on my street are not interested in spiritual things or conversations, you will miss opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. You say, but Brad, you don't work with the people I work with or live on my street. How do you know they're interested? Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11 says God has placed, what? Eternity in their hearts. You say, what does that mean, Brad? I'll tell you what it means. It means that every person you lock eyes with is created in the image of God and is living with a low-grade spiritual hunger and longing for something more than what this life can do. They just don't know what it is. So they're turning to sex and alcohol and prescription drugs and career and advancement and image and sports and kids and grandkids and a beach house and a, and a mountain home. And, but nothing in this world will satisfy and fill that. And you have the answer. It's Jesus. It's to be in a right relationship with the God of the universe through his son, Jesus Christ. Folks, every person is living with a low-grade spiritual hunger. Number three, conversation killer. Get over yourself and stop taking it so personally when people push back with baggage. You say, what are you talking about? Here's what you need to recognize, folks. Every person you talk to in America has already formed an opinion about church and Christianity. It's not a secret. It's been around for 2,000 years. That's a long time for us to do a lot of stupid things, and we have. We've done a lot of dumb things. The church has done a lot of dumb things. Christians have done a lot of dumb things. Don't act like it didn't happen. Like, oh, here's what you do. I have found that when someone begins to rail against Christianity and the hypocrisy of some Christian or pastor or brother-in-law or neighbor or, or some church that did them wrong or their mama wrong, if you'll listen, the anger will come down. They'll come down off the roof. And they can say, you're really listening? If you can, even validate some of their suffering and say, I know. I had some of the same thing happen to me. When they're done, I find that, not always, but many times, if you listen to them, 
they're willing to listen to something you might say back about it. You say, well, what could I say back? Let me give you a simple way I start. It might sound kind of cheesy, but it's my favorite thing to do in response to that kind of stuff. I'll say, have you ever had a bad experience in a restaurant? Almost everybody has. Food that made you throw up all night? Yeah, I want to go back there. Dirty. Dirty. It's just it's dirty. Poor service. Sure. Did you give up on all restaurants and say, that is done. I'm so done with it. We're never eating out again. I don't know anybody that does that. There's still a joy in finding a good new restaurant and tasting new food and going somewhere. I'm just not going back to that restaurant. So you have my permission to never go back to that church. And you don't have to make that Christian your best friend. But don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. And what do I do? I redirect it from church and hypocritical Christians back to who? Bring it back to who? Jesus. Jesus. All right, another killer. Focus on having a conversation instead of pushing your own agenda. Oh, folks, listen. Let them do the bulk of the talking. Let them take it even where they want to take it in the conversation. I admit this is hard, but you don't have to control it. Let them go. Let them go. Let them go. Because you'll start to hear what excites them and fires them up. And here's what I'm doing. I'm just sitting there so many times saying, oh, God, what of everything that's coming out of their mouth? Everything they're saying, there's like dozens of things I disagree with. Where should I jump in? Where should I make a statement? Where should I quote a verse? Where should I just ask a question? When should I just keep smiling and looking helpful? (laughs) Help me, help me. I'm praying, I'm praying. The reason I can pray is I'm not talking. They're talking. You can pray when someone else is talking. And say, when, what, how, Lord? Because here's the deal. The moment you grab hold of the steering wheel of that conversation and they sense that you're trying to direct it in kind of a prefab kind of way and they've stopped being a person and you're just marching them through the paces of what you think you have to do, it starts feeling like a sales pitch. You're a marketing rep and nobody likes that. So don't do monologues. I'm preaching right now, but it's church. It's a sermon. You knew what you were getting in. You knew what you signed up for, right? This is how this works. I talk, you listen. But oh man, when I leave this room, folks, nobody wants to hear a sermon. We need Christians having spiritual conversations with people instead of monologues. I know we've got truth, but be careful. It's not just you just unload everything and you're talking, 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 talking. You don't know where they are. Keep asking questions as you speak some truth and they will stay engaged. But when you just go monologue, you are talking to yourself in front of someone because they stopped listening a long time ago. Last killer. Last killer that we need to get better at avoiding. Stop being so self-righteous and judgmental and start being more compassionate and brokenhearted for where people are. And guess what? Where I started in, in Ephesians 5 with Walk in the Light and 1 John 1 would help you on that. Stop being so judgmental and self-righteous and start being more compassionate and brokenhearted. Here's what I'm convinced. There are too many Christians at work or in the neighborhood and they have come across towards people in such a way that here's the deal, sending a wrong message. The message that goes out from them is this. Not only do I not endorse your point of view, I reject you and I do not accept you and you disgust me. Folks, we're crushing opportunities for conversation. Listen to me. Acceptance is not the same as endorsement. 
Christ loved lost sinners. And we got to get better at this. Because listen to me, many times not yet Christians, many times not yet Christians, they're giving you a test, Christian. Whatever they just said in front of you or however they just came across in front of you, very often it is a test to see if you'll react. So don't react. Instead, act in love. And if you're filled with the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, you can do this. Because many times it's a test to see, could I really trust him or her with the things that are actually most important to me or would they go nuts? And we've got a lot of Christians that have already communicated clearly. Not only do I disagree with your point of view, you disgust me. Folks, don't hear me saying people aren't doing heinous stuff. But Christ died for lost sinners. We cannot be trying to make an impact filled with disgust. Oh, how could you? I can't imagine. I just, oh. Ask God to help you get over that. Dis- disagree with a viewpoint? Sure. Disgusted by the person? No. And only God in you, only the Holy Spirit in you can help you respond differently. But we must, we must, we must. What about you today? Are you walking in the light? Before you ever speak words about Jesus, you still owning your own sin? Do you still have an awareness? I'm the biggest sinner I wake up knowing? Me. If not, ask God to help you with that so that you'll taste grace and you'll be able to extend grace. What about the Holy Spirit? Are you growing in your understanding of what it means to be filled with the Spirit so that you're joyful, grateful, humble? People, people aren't afraid to talk to somebody like that, folks. But hateful? Arrogant, complaining, you're done before you even open your mouth. Nobody's interested in that. They say, I got a truckload of that. I don't need what you have. May God work a mighty work in us as he speaks words through us. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you. Thank you for, it's our only hope, not just the hope for other people. And God, help us to walk in the light with humility, saturated in grace, extending grace rather than condemnation and judgment. And then give us words. Show us the on-ramp to any spiritual conversation with a particular person. Help us. By your grace and for your glory, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.